a new series on the letter to the Philippians. And I would say we're starting, but realistically we started last week uh, with an intro. And if you remember anything from that, hopefully you remember that basically the church in Philippi started with a lot of disruption. Uh, started with God disrupting things through Paul, and it just kind of continued uh, because we serve a disruptive God. Well, we're going to go through the same scripture because last week, to be honest, I used the scripture as a starting point into the history. And tonight we're going to talk about this passage of scripture and specifically a couple of verses within it. So uh, Will's going to operate the scripture behind me. I guess that's not scripture behind me. That's PowerPoint behind me, uh, which has scripture on it. But he's going to operate that. Uh, there's scripture in lots of different places. Uh, one, because it's important to us. And two, we want to make sure it's easy for you. Uh, it's on the paper that is probably underneath you if you don't know where it is. Uh, it is in this thing called a Bible, which if you don't have one, take it with you, please. And then also, if you go to message.sptapestry at org, the scripture appears there. So this is what uh, the first chapter of Philippians, verses 1 through 11. And I know it says 10 there, but I actually put the wrong verse number down. So this is what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always, excuse me, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or or defending uh, and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, I want us to talk about a verse that, that if you were raised in church, you have heard probably pretty frequently. Matter of fact, there's several uh, verses within Scripture. Or excuse me, verses within Scripture. There, there are several verses within Scripture. There are several uh, passages within Philippians that if you were raised in church, you've heard again and again and again. Could you bring up the house? Um, it's, that's good because there's some very memorable things, but it can also be somewhat bad because sometimes we take scripture and we treat it in a way that it wasn't meant to be treated. Scripture didn't originally have verses and chapters in it. That's something we put in after the printing press uh, to make it easier for us to, to memorize things and to go to those specific points. But when it was written, it would have been read as a whole unit typically at church. I mentioned to you that you can read through the entire letter to the Philippians in about 20 minutes. Well, you would go to church and you would hear somebody read for about 20 minutes. And uh, then someone would talk about what was was being read. And it might not have been completely uncommon for someone to read for 20 minutes and then someone else to read for 20 minutes again to read the same uh, passage of Scripture uh, over and over. Because the first thing you had to do was you had to test the text because you were trying to make sure there were no errors in what had been written down beforehand uh, because people were writing this down over and over. So 
it wouldn't be uncommon for multiple people to, to read the text over and over again before you ever talked about it. So while we, we hear some passages and we, we go, oh, I know that one, we forget its context somewhat. And tonight we're going to talk about probably the most memorable verse within this passage, but it fits in a context, and it's this one. It is, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Anybody ever heard that before? You may have been raised singing, you know, he who began a good work in you. That's actually not the song goes like at all, is it? There's a song that says that. And actually, that's pretty true of most scripture. You can pretty much quote a song for, for something. Uh, I have a couple of favorite verses that I use to make fun of people. Um, and you can't sing those, but those are usually really odd verses that are random places in scripture. Uh, but here's the thing I like about this. Is this passage of scripture actually speaks about chronology. It speaks about time. Because time is mentioned a lot in Scripture, and it is really a huge part of the gospel. See, this passage of Scripture talks about our past, talks about our present, and it talks about our future. Matter of fact, past, present, and future are shown again and again and again and again in Scripture. If you read uh, the book of the Revelation, which is a great book, even though some people take it and turn it into fear, it was actually meant to be a way of actually bringing comfort to people who were being persecuted. Uh, Basically, the whole story of the book of the Revelation is God wins, which is a great message when you're being tortured. Uh, So if you read that, though, Jesus is referred to... Okay. (laughs) Jesus referred to this way. He actually says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was... And who is to come? The Almighty. See, Scripture again and again brings up our past, our present, and our future. Not just our past, our present, and our future, but also God's past, His present, and His future. Because they intermingle between. I I want you to think for just a little bit. And yes, I spend hours trying to find these photos. And I'm a little disappointed because I don't have any really great ones other than anytime you can get Darth Vader. uh, Darth Vader? (laughs) I cannot speak tonight. I was talking to Mark earlier and I couldn't get just simple words out. Darth Vader and Princess Leia together, though that would not work. And if you're a Star Wars fan, you know why that wouldn't work. That's only legal in Arkansas. I thought it was funnier than that. Okay, anyhow. It's because I think the hint there is those are spouses. Darth Vader and Princess Leia can't be spouses because they're... No. But good, yeah. Your wife is more of a geek than you are, Pete. (laughs) So, let's talk about this for a little bit. Because our past, for some people, it is a weighty thing. And, And not necessarily a good thing. There are people who are burdened by their past to the point that they can't do things. They're burdened by what they've done or what they haven't done to the point that they don't feel like God can use them at all. I, I've met people like that. To be honest, sometimes I've met that. And I haven't done, done a lot of things that people would consider bad in and of themselves. But there are times where I just went, my past says I am this over and over and over again. As, as a pastor, I have free reign to talk with people about spiritual matters quite often. Uh, some things that, that you might be worried about, people just kind of assume that I do automatically. Um, if I walk into a room and people find out I'm a pastor, they're going to start acting holier than, than they were. I can tell you invariably one of them is going to say, 
you know, I promise, I, 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 I plan on going to church sometime. And I, you know me. Wow, that, you don't have to laugh now. I'm just joking. You know me. I don't pressure people to go to church. I care about people knowing Jesus, not about them just going to church. I think church is a wonderful thing. But what I care about is people knowing Jesus. But I can't tell you the number of people that have told me before that, oh, I, you know, I did this. God can never forgive me of this. And sometimes it's things that you'd go, really? Really? You think God can't forgive you for that? Let me introduce you to somebody who's really evil. Because I've met some people in my life that, that I would say, that is evil. And yet, God is still able to forgive. There are other people who have a past that, that it's a little different. And that is that they look at what people have done in the past that are in their family. And it's this, this burden that is way too high for them to ever achieve. See, hopefully it's not you, but... There are people that they view their past and they go, God could never use me. God could never forgive me. Some people say, God could never want me based off of my past. Our past, in some people's view, defines us. And yet what Scripture shows again and again is is that our past does not define us unless we let it. The same is true, not just of our our past, but also some people's future does the very same thing. Hopefully it's not you, but some people have expectations that are placed upon them that are this uh, tremendous burden that they could never live up to. Oh, I can't do that because I'm expected to do this. No, no, no. I can't do that because my family is this. Now, sometimes it can be bad. There's one other other minister that was in my family. One other minister in my family. Um, I don't know if he's still in jail, but at one time he was in jail because he was a minister in the sense of, of kind of a faith healer type, type person and he made profit off of the week and there was you know, fraud that was involved, which is why he was in jail in Georgia. As the only minister in my family. And you could say you know, that that my future as a Terrell and ministerial situations was not good because of that. I, I know people who go, I come from a lower class family and all of my family's like this and so I have to become that. Many of you have met my dad. My dad's a wonderful person. My dad will tell you he's a redneck. I, I should be, con- you know, not condemned as a redneck, but I should live in Wisconsin Rapids. Just joking. <laughs> I know she's from Port... Actually, that would be completely funny if Port Edwards made fun of Wisconsin Rapids. Please tell me they did. Okay. <laughs> see, I could say that's my future and I have to become that. Or, or there are people who, if you really look at the gospel, you see people who are called from lots of different things to do things that, that others may look at and go, no, 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 that's beneath you. You see people like Paul. If you read about Paul, Paul was going to be one of the Jewish intellects of his age. He had all the right training. He had all the right credentials. He was not going to be the prophet for a low-class religion. Is what, what, and that's what Christianity would have been viewed as. He was going to be one of the most respected Jewish leaders. And Jesus takes him and says, I know that's your future, but I've got a better future for you. 
You may know people who are raised in certain families where they have to go into a certain business. And and they could say, that defines me. But part of the message of the gospel is that just like our past doesn't define us um, unless we let it, the future that other people have picked for us doesn't define us unless we let it either. See, He is the God who was and is and is to come. Because of the fact that He is in the past, He can redeem our past. He can take whatever has been done or whatever has not been done. And He doesn't just go, oh, it's okay. He redeems it. There's a reason that in the 8th chapter of Romans, God says to us that we know that all things work for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. All the things work according to the... Excuse me. Those who love God and are called according to His purpose. See, we know that He is able to take even our worst evil in the past and He is able to redeem it and cause good to happen from it. It may never be good, but His goodness is so strong that even evil ultimately works for His purpose. I have friends who've been molested, who've been sexually hurt by people that they should have trusted, they should have been able to trust, and and what was done to them will always be evil. But God's goodness is is so strong that He's even able to take that and cause good to happen from it. And please hear my wording. I am not saying, oh, He makes that good. No, God never goes, you know what? It's great that you were hurt. He doesn't think that. What He says is, my goodness is so strong that I can overcome that and I can make that to work for good. And there's a difference there. Evil is always evil. It's just in the light of God it can't even accomplish its own will. He's able to do the same thing with our future because He is the God who is to come. He can take the future that other people assign to us and He can pick one that's better. And here's why that's important. If you, you go and consider past, present, and future and you, you look back, you see that there's another person who uses our past also. In the book of Job, he's described quite often. The first two chapters detail him as one of the kind of characters who pushes the story for Firth, I cannot speak tonight. It's the BC powder. I breathed it in. That's got to be affecting something. But he's one of the, the characters who pushes the story forward. We call him Satan. It says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Now, so often, actually you and I were talking about this <laughs> this week. Uh, we, we think of this as a proper name, and it is a proper noun, only because we made it so. See, it is actually this word right here, which is this. It's hasatan, which means the accuser. It is literally Hebrew for the one who accuses. And, and it's so much what he does that we get Satan from that. And we now use it as a proper, uh, proper noun, as a name for, for the devil. Because that's what he does over and over and over again. Now, what does it mean to accuse somebody? I'm sorry, what? Blame. To point out what's happened in the past. You're not good enough because this happened. You're not good enough because you did this. You're not good enough because you didn't do this. He, he brings your past and tries to, to direct your present by that. He can do the same thing with your future also. He can say, oh, no, because of your past, your future is this. You're never going to make it. 
You're never going to be able to do this, so why even try? You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be forgiven enough for this. You're never going to actually be able to follow God, so why even try? See, he takes our past, he takes our futures, and he tries to control the present by doing that. But Paul said that he is confident of what? He who began a good work in you will continue until it's accomplished. See, what God has done in the past, in your life, in other people's lives, and what He is accomplishing in the future can direct our present right now. See, while Satan points at us, while the accuser points at you, points at me and says, you're not good enough because you messed up like this. And that's not just for for you, that's for me. When I look back and I go, I didn't do this. Or I did this. I still get accused of, you're not good enough. You can never do this. You'll never be good enough. Because that's what he likes to do, is accuse. But God is so much more than that, and he's able to defeat that. That's why in Romans, it does this, and I'd just rather show you somebody's shoes rather than just quote the scripture. Because what it says is is that through God's power, we are able to defeat the one who is accusing us. Not through our own power, not through, through our own positive thinking, not through repeating mantras to ourselves, not through doing any of the works of our own. But instead, that God is able to look at the one who points out our past and he goes, no, 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 no. Your words don't matter because I can change their past and I'm changing their future. That's how we're able to, to stomp on his head. That's how we are able to say you can't accuse me. Because what God does is he's, he takes the points where we've messed up in the past and we've takes the points where we've ruined our future and he goes, no, 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 no. I can redeem that. Because I am the God of the past and I am the God of the future and I am the God of the present and I control it now. It doesn't matter how you've messed up or how I've messed up in the past. It doesn't matter how we haven't lived up to our future. And there's lots of ways we do it. Some of them bad. Some of them kind of insignificant, but they build up one after another after another choice. I had a friend, and I think I've mentioned him before. Uh, Pam and I actually had a friend in college who had a full-ride scholarship. Now, for those of you who are students or who have been students, I want you to think about that. A full-ride scholarship. I don't mean by that full tuition. I don't mean by that full tuition plus room and board. I mean by that full tuition, room and board, and books. I would love for my kids to have a full-ride because that would mean money in my pocket, okay? I mean, that's an awesome thing. They would love it because then when I, you know, when I tried to pull the card of, no, you can't do that, and they say, why? And I say, because I'm paying for your education. They'd be like, no, you're not. <laughs> and our friend made lots of little bitty small choices, something that you wouldn't think was that significant. He, he didn't drink it away. He didn't go and do drugs. He didn't do all of these big actions that people think of. He destroyed a full-ride scholarship. And we, the school I went to, we have quarters instead of semesters, which means instead of two semesters a year plus a summer thing, you have three semesters a year, which makes no sense for quarters. I know that. But that's the way it works. It, <laughs> there we go. I like periods. Periods would be good. In one period slash quarter, his grades were so low that in the next two, he couldn't bring them up. 
from lots of little bitty small choices. Would you like to know what destroyed his full ride scholarship? What his choice was? Spades. It's a card game. Not a card game that you bet money on. I'm sure you could. He didn't. He played it at a Baptist campus ministry. At a, a church place. And he was a great Christian. And what he would do is he fell in love with the game of spades. See, parents, you should not keep your kids from playing spades when they're in high school. Because if you do, they go wild when they go off into college. And, and he played spades over and over and over again. There were, there were stories of John and other people breaking into the building. Why? So they could play spades. How'd you like to report that to the cops? Son, why did you break into the building? Because I, I had a really good game of spades. He played so much spades that he bombed his first semester. Lots of little bitty small choices. Affected his past, but it was affecting his future too because he went from a full ride scholarship to nothing. I love it because they look, we're sorry. And it's like, no, this is awesome. I love when kids say something. So here's why this is important. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us. In, in the fact of our past or not living up to our future. What you have done or what I have done that, that we shouldn't have done or sometimes even worse, the things that we should have done that we didn't do. Have you ever gone past something and you knew this was the right thing to do and I didn't do it? In church, we, we so often call them sins of omission rather than sins of, of commission. And instead of committing a sin, sometimes you, you drive by. Sometimes you see somebody in need and you're like, I just feel like I'm supposed to pull over. And you don't. See, our past can't separate us from God. Every now and then you'll hear somebody in church say that, that when the devil reminds you of your past, you ever heard this, what should you do? Remind him of his future. It's a really catchy phrase, I like it. There's a problem though. I don't care about his future. See, when, when the accuser reminds you of your past or reminds me of my past, maybe what we should do is start to remember the future God has given us. See, the way the story is told over and over again is because of the fact that He is the God of the past and He is the God of the future, it affects our present right now because we can start living out His promise now. We can start living out that future now. There's a reason that the Roman Empire was scared of Christianity. And it was because they saw Christians living out their hope of an eternal life. They saw Christians living out their hope of forgiveness. And that meant they could bring in anybody. That loving your enemy thing, the Christians were really doing it. And that's very scary for people. It's very scary for people in power when suddenly we no longer hate our enemy, but instead we love them. And we love them because of the fact that we believe in a God who will redeem anyone who turns to Him. Because He doesn't care about our past. He sees His future. So Scripture says that, that no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor, nor, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what He has begun to do in you now, that little spark, if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, that, that little change that He did... He wants to push that 
more and more and more. And, and your failure or my failure doesn't keep him from wanting to be able to do that. Doesn't keep him from being able to do that. Maybe you started along the path of following Jesus. Maybe you were doing a really good job and then you messed up. So often, I hear people who say, oh, I, I did that church thing once. It was really good then and then I kind of get far, uh, far away. That was my southern accent coming out, sorry. I got further away. He's not looking at you and going, you know what, I gave you one chance, that's enough. When you go on the path and you turn off a little bit, all he wants to do is bring you back on the path. Because he doesn't just not care about your past before you were a Christian. He changes your past again and again and again and again when you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because he is the God who was and is, and is to come. So Paul is able to say being confident of this. Now, what does the word confidence mean? Sure. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, how does confidence affect you? Bold. And that's a good combination. Confidence is being sure that results in you being bold. Now, I've always heard that, that ladies like a confident man. I'm just glad that Pam didn't like a confident man because I'm not very confident of that. I was never the guy that was like, hey, you're going to go out to eat with me. One, because I couldn't afford it because I think our first date was at like a McDonald's or something. Uh, no, we went to Mrs. Boomer's. But I think we only ordered French fries. So, I was never confident. But confidence, if you know a guy who's confident... He can ask out somebody you would never think was, was possible for him. See, confidence is being sure that results in action. If, if I'm just confident and I'm like, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, and I never do anything at all, that's not really confidence. That's saying you're sure, but it never ever results in action at all. Paul says that he is confident. And, and his confidence is not in the Philippines. I'm going to edit this, this recording just so you know. Because uh, I can't speak. Not in the Philippines. I'm trying to say the Philippians. His confidence is not in them. His confidence is not. You started and I know you're never going to turn back. His confidence is he who began a good work in you. See, his confidence is in God, not, not in us. I, there are people in this room that I trust implicitly, but we all still fail. We all still mess up. If his confidence was just in, in the Philippines, I keep on wanting to say Philippines, the Philippians, they can mess up. His confidence is in God that has worked in their past and has a great future for them. And I hope that's where all of our confidence is. Our confidence is in a God who can redeem our past, has a great future for us, and wants us to live it out now. So, before I end, anybody have anything that needs to be added? then this is what I want to remind you of. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. Prison then 
And we're going to talk about this at another time. But prison then is a little different from now. Uh, because prison then was not a punishment. It was a way station. Your punishment was outside of prison. Pri- <laughs> you should count how many times I just mess up on simple words. Uh, your punishment was outside of prison. You were put in prison to wait for your trial. But after that, if you were going to have anything close to prison, it was going to be slavery. That was your best option. Usually you were going to, uh, to be beaten, you were going to lose a body part, or you were going to be killed. But they, it wasn't prison in this. Did I just mispronounce killed? Okay. It wasn't prison in the sense that we have where we say, uh, Elliot, you're wearing a red shirt and, and you know, that's against the law. And therefore, you're put in prison for six months because you're wearing a red sweatshirt. Uh, it, that would be his punishment. Then the punishment was, hey, this is going to happen. And until we can get you to trial, we'll put you in prison. And it was basically a hole in the ground that had guards in it. And you were kind of thrown into it. And there was food given sometimes. See, prison was a dependent thing. You were dependent upon friends and family taking care of you. You were dependent upon others coming into it. And Paul is writing this while he is in that hole, surrounded by guards. While he is probably chained to the wall, he is writing to people and saying, I'm confident of this. That's some amazing confidence. When you are in a a room that very well might not have had light at all, because if you go to the modern place where we think he was at this point, now there's light, but then it was just a hole in the ground. When you're in the midst of that and you're dependent upon friends bringing you food because there's a pretty decent chance that uh, the Romans aren't going to give you any at all because if you die, that just works out better for them because they don't have to worry about a trial. In the midst of that, he writes to a group and he says... I don't care what your past is. I'm confident that he will continue working in you to achieve his future. He's that confident about you. And he's that confident about me. Because he knows what our past was. But more importantly than that, he knows the future he wants to give us. Because of this confidence, what he prays for them is is that they would grow in love. Here's the, the scripture. It says that, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So here's what I hope for you this week. Last week I asked that, that maybe you look where, and see where God might be disruptive, where He might be disrupting your lives or disrupting other people's lives to bring about the kingdom. This week, I just simply hope this, that you're able to remember what God has done in the past. And if you can't remember what God has done in your past, maybe you can remember it in, in what He's done in other people that you've seen. Because as family, that means we get, you know, if something great happens in Joel's life, I get to claim it. If we can remember what God has done in our past and remember the future He has for us, maybe we can live out His kingdom now. A kingdom that is disruptive and threatens the powers and is life-changing. I hope this week that you grow in love, in knowledge, and in insight. We'll pray. Pete has something. This, um, stumbling block that holds you back from the 
Anybody? Did you hear what he said? He said sometimes the stumbling block, in, in, in Pete's opinion, is that what keeps him or us from doing what is the future is how can I forgive myself? Excuse me, how can God forgive me when I won't forgive myself? Did I phrase that properly? So I've got something, but would somebody like to share? How, how are you able to overcome that stumbling block and recognize God's forgiveness? Anyone? All right, then I'll share my... Here's the thing. Ultimately, that's a prideful statement. Because what you're saying is, yeah, God says he forgives me, but I know better than God. Right? Now, you may be wonderful, but I know myself. I'm an idiot. Okay? So if I have to choose between my knowledge and, and God's knowledge, I'll go with that, even though sometimes it's hard for me to believe it. If you ever are around anybody who is a part of Alcoholics Anonymous... They're really good on phrases. I'm not a big, like, catchphrase guy, but it works in that case. And they have this one that is, it basically says this, fake it till you make it. You may have heard it before. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just keeping it real, I'm keeping it real. A lot of times when they say I'm keeping it real, what they mean is I'm being stupid, okay? Because what you do with everything else in life is if you want to become something, you pretend like you are that until you actually get there. I'll use myself as an example here. About six years ago, I began running. I couldn't run at all. I began with a little program called uh, the Couch to 5K. It literally is supposed to take you from your couch until you can run 5K, which is 3.1 miles. Do you know how you do it? You pretend like you're a runner for 15 seconds. Kim's shaking her head. So, Have you done it? Okay, yeah. I mean, literally, the first time, I'm like, I'm going to run for, and I have my watch set and for 15 seconds. You run for 15 seconds and then you walk for two minutes, which sounds really easy, except for when you haven't been running at all. And so for 15 seconds, I'm just booking it. I mean, I'm just going really, really good. And I look great for 15 seconds. Do you know what happens around second 13, though? Because <gasps> I'm not a runner. And for two minutes I walk, and all I can think of for the last 30 seconds of that two minutes is, I've got to run again. And I only have to run 15 seconds. Now, think of the little kids that run around here in this gym. If they saw an old man who couldn't run for 15 seconds, what would they do? They, yeah, they would probably point and laugh. But the way I am a runner now is because I was faking it then. I could only fake it for 13 seconds. Then the next week I could fake it for... a. Technically, I think it's uh, 45 seconds at that point. I really could probably only fake it for about 35 seconds. But you reach a point to where you keep on faking it enough until you make it. When you can't forgive yourself because you're like, how can God forgive me because I can't forgive myself? I think sometimes then you have to just go, well, he says he does. I'll pretend like that's true until I believe it. Faking is if you just always do it and you're like, I don't ever want to be that. Faking it until you make it is, I can't believe that yet on my own, but I want to become that person. So I start to do it. One of my favorite lines in all of Scripture is this, this man who brings uh, his desire for his daughter to be healed before Jesus. And, and he says, you know, can you heal my daughter? And Jesus' response is, to him who believes, all things are possible. And the man's answer is just so amazing. He says, I believe Help me with my unbelief. I think that's the equivalent of, 
I want to believe you and I can't do it right now on my own. Help me to believe you. Fake it till you make it. So maybe this week, you fake believing in His future for you so that you can actually begin to live it out. Does that help? Let's pray and let's sing to Him who was and is and is to come. Father, thank You that my past does not define me. Thank You that the future that I had assigned to me by others or I picked for myself doesn't define me. But instead, You redeem my my past and You give me a great future. And help all of us to live out that future in our present. I pray this in Your Son's name, who was and is and is to come. Amen. Let's sing to him who is worthy.